If you will, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Um, We're going to look at Mark 9, we'll go to Mark 10, and then we'll end up in John 13. So if you just want to kind of put your finger in a couple of those places, we'll start in Mark chapter 9. Mark 9 and John 13. And I'll read a couple other ones um, as well. But I've been in a series in this month of January. Um, It's a great time to kind of evaluate, refocus. And so in January, I've been in a series called Refocus. Um, And as I've been saying, it's just common for us once a year to go to an eye doctor, to get an eye exam, to get corrective lenses so that the vision that might be blurry can become clear, clear enough for us to see, to be able to manage and navigate life. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. I think it's important for us from time to time to just pause and to evaluate how our walk is going. And so that's the whole reason for the series, refocus, just looking at some of these things that um, we as followers of Christ can fine-tune, if you will, at the beginning of a new year. I want to jump right into today what I want to talk about. I want to refocus on um, a word called stewardship. And you may say, Shane, why that one? I mean, there's a lot of things that as Christians, I mean, we could focus on. We focused on love last week. That was a good one. Uh, how, to, how to deal with failure, we, we dealt with that one um, a, a few weeks ago and what discipleship is, but why stewardship? Why is that a big thing worthy of refocusing on? I'll tell you why. We're in a culture and in a world that draws us away from that type of an attitude and those actions. We're, we're in a culture that's me-focused, Amen. Um, the, the world that we live in is like, you deserve you know, the, the best, you're going to climb the ladder of success, and you might have to step on a few heads along the way, but look out for numero uno, look out for number one. That's the world that we live in, and so it's just this gravitational pull that if, as followers of Christ, if we're not careful, can kind of pull us into the ditch, you know, like a car that's out of alignment. Uh, if we're not intentional at keeping our hands on the wheel, it can kind of pull us away um, to where we just kind of get into a rut and we start looking at things from the wrong perspective and somehow think that um, it's all about us when it's really not about us. It's about him and it's about other people. Amen? So refocusing on others. Um, I don't know about you in the room, but how many of you ever desire to just be great? I, I mean, you just want to build a name for yourself. You know, you're pursuing greatness. Anybody? Okay, so when I was young, I was in Southwest Oklahoma, and I had a mullet and a guitar, and I wanted to be the next Garth Brooks. I mean, I had it all planned out, man. All the good guys came from Oklahoma, Reba, Garth, Brooks, and I mean, I, I just named a lot of them off, and I wanted to be one of them, and I, in my mind, had my bus. It was a big old huge bus with my name on the side, and I just wanted so bad to, to make a name for myself and, and to be on the radio and have everybody know who I am, to make me known. I remember one of the highlights of my life was a huge talent contest that they had at a place called Strex Ballroom in, uh, over by Elk City, Burns Flat area. And it's the same stage that Garth and Reba and all these big dogs came to and did concerts. And I mean, I was like, this is awesome. And I'm jamming with this band and I, I got done with my set and I got down and I told Rachel, I said, I could do this for the rest of my life. It was just, I was charged. It was awesome. The only problem with that was I was trying to make me known. I was trying to make my name Great. Now, maybe you've not struggled that way. Maybe you're like, uh-uh, I don't want to be on the stage, but I have a feeling you want to be great in your family. I have a feeling that your workplace, you kind of desire to be known for your greatness. I mean, this dude's good. He's a good worker, hard, solid worker. I mean, anybody in the room ever desire to be just kind of great? So, so the world that we live in kind of pulls us that way, and we focus on that. Yet, when we get to Scripture, I'm so thankful we have the Scripture and Jesus and his teachings, Amen. 
Because Jesus has a way of taking our thoughts and flipping them upside down and saying, hey, listen, I know you think this is the right way, but greatness really um, is found through the back door of serving people, servanthood. True greatness is found not in the world's ways, but in God's ways, and is found in serving other people. Bill Hybels wrote a book called Descending into Greatness. See what I mean about upside down? Because we think we ascend to greatness, but God's ways are upside down. It says, descending into greatness. Listen to what he wrote. It is a me-first mindset. This mindset says, indulge yourself, fulfill your desires and your appetites, pursue pleasure, take off all the restraints, As much as we might want to pretend that this value system died in the 80s, let's be honest, it is alive and still thriving. With this mindset comes an elusive promise. If you seek first your own good and satisfy your own desires, then you will be happy. In print, on television, and in the movies, over and over, we hear the lie. The road to contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment, and true joy is marked with a street sign that is flashing me first. People are pathologically self-centered and ignored uh, and ignore the needs of others. The me-first mindset is controlling many lives, even the lives of those who call themselves followers of Christ, end quote. Great statement there that just tells us what I just said, that we live in a culture that pulls us away from that mentality and that action. And so I thought it would be great for us today to just take a few moments and refocus on serving other people, focus on servanthood. And as I said, I'm glad that we have a great teacher in Jesus. And so let's join Jesus and his disciples as they're walking along on the way to Jerusalem. You know, Jesus knew what his mission was, um, and he was resolute in his mission. He knew it would take him to Jerusalem. He knew that he would die on the cross. And so along the way, he's teaching his disciples. Along the way, he's modeling for them what life looks like um, and, and so what I want us to see is that this problem of me focus is, is not a new problem. It goes way, way back when, even with the disciples of Jesus. If that's hard to imagine, you know, just you're with Jesus, you think these guys that have it figured out. No, they, they, they didn't. So listen to what it says. It says, after they arrived at Capernaum, this is in chapter 9, verse 33. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, <clears throat> what were you discussing out on the road? Now, let me just tell you, Jesus already knows the answer to that question. I mean, he's omniscient, right? And we know that because of what he follows it with, but they're talking on the road, and when they get to Capernaum, Jesus says, what were you discussing on the road back there? Verse 34, they didn't answer (laughs) because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. So the disciples of Christ, I can just see them trailing behind Jesus away. He's kind of out of earshot, but it doesn't matter because Jesus knows all things. And, and they're, they're walking together, and they're like, man, I'm the greatest. No, you're not, you idiot. You're not the greatest. I'm the greatest. I mean, I'm the first one to do everything Jesus tells us to do. I mean, where are you at? You're always the last one to the table. I mean, whatever it is, they're just having this conversation about who is the, the greatest. And so Jesus, being the teacher that he was, saw an opportunity and wanted to let them understand this this concept. It says, they didn't answer him because they had been arguing about who was going to be the greatest. In verse 35, it says, he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and he said, so he gets to teach them, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. This is upside down from our world. If you want to be first, if you want to be great, he says, you need to be last or you need to be the servant 
of everyone else. All right, got it. Lesson taught, right? Chapter 10, we continue walking. And this is um, right before the triumphal entry, triumphant entry, where we're going to get to uh, John 13 in a second. And so um, this is right before he comes into Jerusalem for the last time. This time, instead of the 12 disciples, it's two of them, and it's James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Verse 35, chapter 10, it says, They came over and spoke to him, Teacher, they said, We want you to do us a solid. Jesus, teacher, we want you to do us a, a favor. He says, what is your request? They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on the right and the other on the left. See, they thought he was going to Jerusalem to take over and he was going to set up his throne there. And they're like, man, when you set that throne up, Jesus, we're, we're just kind of, you know, we want to be dibs, <laughs> dibs on the left seat and the right seat of Jesus, the places of honor. And so Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to baptize with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on the right or the left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Verse 41, uh, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were ticked. It says they were indignant. They were probably mad because they didn't beat James and John to it. They're, they're, they're indignant because James and John would ask Jesus for a seat of honor, a places of honor next to him. And so Jesus, seeing an opportunity again to talk about this whole concept of greatness, in verse 42, he says, he called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world, this world system, lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those that are under them. He said, that's normal in this world. You know that the people of this world lord it over them, but in verse 43, he says, but among you, he's talking to his disciples, it will be different. And again, he lays it out. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And then he finishes it with this, for even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. We observed communion a while ago. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many people. I'm grateful for that, amen? So Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, listen, even I, but you walked on the water, you healed the blind, all these, even Jesus did not come to be served, the one worthy of being served, but he said, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is teaching them, uh, and like any good teacher, go to John chapter 13, a good teacher not only teaches the principle, but if they can, they try to lay it out, they model it, or they give an example. And, and I love this one. We're very familiar with the passage, but this time they're in the upper room. This is after his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He is about 24 hours away from being arrested, falsely accused, and falsely accused, arrested, betrayed, all those things, murdered, buried, raised again. I mean, this is the last 24 hours almost um, of Jesus' earthly existence, and they're in the upper room. And I think it's interesting that at the end of his ministry, after teaching them for three-plus years, that Jesus felt the necessity to go back or the need to go back and hit this 
important subject again. And so it says in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Another version says he showed them the full extent of his love. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, because he knew that, it says he got up from the table He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. This was not abnormal. In the eastern countries, they didn't have sidewalks. They didn't wear tennis shoes and socks like we do. And so they would get up and they would take a bath, and then they would have to go somewhere, anywhere. And as they would go, their feet would get dusty or dirty. And so every home, it was just a hospitality thing, every home would provide a basin of water, and usually it was the person, it was the the smallest kid, the youngest one, so if you're a kid and you're the youngest in the family, it was your job, thanks dad, right, to wash the feet of the guest, it was just, just, uh, you just did that, that's what you did. So they would wash the feet, or maybe a slave, somebody that took over the, 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 the responsibilities in the home, they would just make sure that the feet were washed. And so that's an absolute normal thing to take place in this context. What's not normal is who did the feet washing. It, it, the, the disciples are all gathered. Jesus has been teaching them about servanthood. If you want to be great, be last. Serve everyone else, right? Here's the perfect opportunity for one of the disciples to go, no, 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 Jesus, me, let me do it. But notice it doesn't say that they stepped up. It says, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and the Father had given him all things, he got up and he took off his outer robe. He had another robe. He took off the outer robe and he placed a towel around his waist, pours water into the basin, and then he begins to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. That was a very humbling act that Jesus did and demonstrated for the disciples. Notice the disciples, who was in that crowd. I think it's important for us to realize that Judas... Son of Simon Iscariot, the one that would later betray Jesus, got his feet washed from Jesus. That's just something I want you to hang on to because it's big to me. I don't know how I'm wired, and it's easy to serve the people that I love, the people that I care about, the people that are, you know, scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, those kind of things. Jesus washes the feet of the person he knows is going to betray him. Jesus gave us a great model of servanthood, didn't he? So what was not normal was the fact that Jesus did the foot washing. Of course, Peter, you had that, that section in there where Peter said, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, yeah. And he says, man, I, you'll never wash my feet. And he said, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And we believe that salvation is only through Jesus, right? Simon Peter explained, hey, then wash my whole head and, 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 and as well, Lord, not just my feet. Then Jesus said, a person who's had a bath doesn't need to bathe every time. He just needs to wash his feet. And I believe that's a beautiful picture of our salvation. Once we're saved, we're saved, but we get our feet dirty, and we still need to come to him and get, and get cleansed. First John 1, 9, that if we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Amen? So that's just a little side there. Let's get back into the, uh, the story that I'm focusing on today. So verse 12, it says, after washing their feet, Jesus puts his robe back on, and he sat down, and he asked them, do you understand what I was doing? In my mind, I'm going back to the times that they talked about it already on the road, and the the, the fact that they were indignant with James and John, and that the other 
disciples were arguing over who was the greatest. Now Jesus has given them this example. He says, do you, do you get it? Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to show you right now? Verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right. That's, that's what I am. That's who I am. I'm the teacher. The teacher teaches. He lays out the principles. I'm Lord. And that means uh, I'm, I'm the one that is the master and here to serve the Lord. Yet he came and he modeled serving for them. But he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, Jesus gives this example, and I don't believe that that's a literal example that we need to follow today. We have shoes, we have sidewalks, we have socks, and um, I don't believe he's saying we need to practice foot washing regularly. And some of you guys are going, man, that's, that's good news right there. I've been in churches that have done that, and it's pretty cool. And I would tell you, it's not, I've washed feet and I've had my feet washed. And I'll tell you, it's more humble to let somebody wash your own feet because you're like, no, no, man, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm not saying that that's what he's saying we do here, but the principle is serving other people. Amen? And Jesus is, is saying that I'm the teacher in the Lord. And if I, as teacher in the Lord, do it, then guess what? We're not above him. We're not above the master. We're not greater than Jesus. And if Jesus is setting us the example, and he says, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. Verse 16, he says, I'll tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Verse 17, this is important. Now that you know these things, I mean, I've taught you and I've modeled it for you. Disciples, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Do you hear that? There's a, there's a blessing attached to servanthood. So I started talking about the, the, the danger, this pull away from this attitude and this action. That's one of the reasons that we need to refocus on servanthood is because we're prone to go away from it and to focus on our own needs and wants. And Jesus teaches us to refocus on the need for that. And he says there's a blessing that's associated with doing that. I, I just believe, I can't say this in scripture, but I believe that there are many blessings left on the table for his children because we don't get this truth. Many blessings that are associated with serving other people and because we're so fo focused and fixated on taking care of our own wants and our own needs, we're missing out on a lot of what God might have planned in, in, by way of blessings to his, his children because he says, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus models for us what servanthood looks like. We need to refocus on it because, like I said, we're, we're tempted to kind of go astray from that and to focus on our own, own needs. And, and, and the word serve there means just to look out for someone else's wants and needs, to consider someone else's wants and, and needs. So, well, how do we do that, Shane? I mean, um, we're not talking about foot washing, so what does that look like today? What does it look like in my life? Um, I'm glad you asked. Just like last week, we talked about love, and, and I said, God would not command us to do something uh, that he's not given us the ability to perform. So he says, love others as I have loved you. He's not telling us to do something that's impossible because his spirit lives in us, right? And he says, if you recognize what I've done for you and my amount of love for you, and when you get it and you receive that love, and then when you start to turn that love and show it to other people the same way I've shown to you, then God's target in your life has been reached. He's like, that's it. 
right there. That's it. They see it. They get it. And they're showing the same love to their brothers and sisters as they're showing to me. I think the same thing is true. He would not tell us to serve one another if he didn't equip us with the ability to do so. Well, how does he equip us? Well, I don't have time this morning, but if you have time later, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because it talks about the gifts of the, 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 the Christians. The, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to us as believers. But here's an important note about the gifts. The gifts aren't for our pleasure or for us like toys, like, ooh, I get these gifts. The gifts, the purpose of those is to serve the body of Christ. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 12, he says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us, say each, because sometimes I think we're tempted to think, I don't have any of those gifts, God. I know you gave it to so-and-so, and over there you gave it to a person, but I don't know that I've got any of them. Listen, he's dealt to every one of us. He's not a stingy parent. He gives every one of us a gift. Amen? Some of you may not know what it is yet. You need to discover it. Like, hey, what has he gifted us with? Because the Spirit has given us each a gift. It says, so we can help each other. He goes on to talk about the body and how there are many parts, but one body and the importance and the significance of the smaller parts that we may think are not important. He said, they're the most important. And so here's what I believe. God is saying, hey, I've got this body, the body of Christ. And the method in which I want to minister to my body is I'm going to use my people to do it. And I'm going to gift them or I'm going to equip them for the task. And when we get it, and when we realize, that, and we, we, we adopt this attitude of, of servanthood, we say, God, I, I realize that the last are first, the first are last, and if I want to be great, I need to learn how to serve, to pick up a towel, and just serve the body of Christ. And then we discover what he's gifted us at, and we just simply get to work. God uses that in a healthy body in the church, amen? So he's gifted, he's equipped each one of us for the benefit of each other. And so uh, we're equipped, say equipped. Some of you may say, I'm not equipped, or you may look at someone and say, you're not equipped, but we're equipped, okay? First Peter chapter 4 is another interesting passage. Peter's talking, and he's talking about the, the imminent return of Christ. How many know Jesus is returning? And we don't know if it's tomorrow or next day, but we know it's, it's going to happen, and so it's the, his timing, he's going to come, and Peter says, the end of the world is coming soon, or the end of all things. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue, the Greek word echo uh, is just repetitive, keep on showing deep love, not just love, agape, but a fervent, intentional, deep love to one another. He says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. That's big. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Again, you don't have to worry about your own strength and your own energy. So if I'm going to give you the, the resources, I'm going to give you the energy, I'm going to give you the power to do that that I've equipped you to do for the benefit of the body. Amen? He says, do it with all the strength and the energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to who? God, right? It's not about us. He says, when you serve, when you use the gifts that you've received and you use that to serve the body, he says, everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And he finishes by saying, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. You know who's worthy of the glory? He is, not me. 
And so when we just adopt that attitude and say, God, look, I, I know you've placed me here and you've got a purpose for me and you've got a purpose for me in this, this body to function a certain way. You've equipped me to do it and you're going to strengthen me and give me the power to do it. I just need to do my part. Am I willing to pick up a towel? Am I willing to say no to myself and yes to other people? That's why I said we need to refocus on servanthood. Let me give you some practical ways that you can do this. There are many but just a few that I jotted down. Um, one of the ways you can serve others is helping in your family. And all the moms said, amen, right? In the family context, just help out. When's the last time you did the dishes? Not because it was your turn to do the dishes, but, but just said, hey, mom, I want to bless you. Or her dad, I just want to do the dishes for you and just do it. Cook a meal or ask the question, how can I help you today? And mean it. <laughs> And follow through on the response. I and mean, that's huge. It's one way that we can help, the gift of helps, in the immediate context of the family. Here's a big one to me in the church, volunteering at the church. The church is filled with many wonderful volunteers that never get on the stage. Their names aren't plastered on any media or the walls. But without them, this church would not function the way it functions. I am very, very grateful for the many people that volunteer at Living Water. And if you're one of those, please understand how important you are to me. Thank you for your service. That's another way that we can serve. It's just volunteering. Like, hey, Shane, I want to sing. If you can't sing, no, you can't sing. Sorry, I'm just going to be mean, right? Like, no, no, that's all right. You just pray in the back, right? I'm just playing. But, but you volunteer at the church. What has God gifted you? See an opportunity. And God's not looking for super Christians. He's building the church for normal people just like you and me. When we realize our gifts and we say, hey, I know God's gifted me and I just want to be used by him, plug me in. That, that is awesome. So volunteer at the church. Send someone an encouraging note. This is huge to me. We need a lot more encouragement in our world today, don't we? The world we live in is very discouraging. And so when you get it, you're just like, you know what? I'm just good at looking. My, my glass is always half full. Or, or I just have the ability to, to find the, you know, the silver lining on the cloud. And, and you know, I'm going to just be an encourager to somebody. And you pick the phone up. And you text someone, hey, I was just thinking about you. I want to let you know I think you're awesome, right? Or you write them a letter or you call them on the phone and just say, I just want you to know you are so, so great. There is power in encouragement. And it's not hard to do, amen? Amen? That's a, that's a form of encouragement. You're helping me out, y'all. Here's a big one. Deliver a meal. Oh, man. My wife's great at this. Uh, there have been seasons in life whenever uh, we had some issues way back in the back with a family, and, you know, I want to I bait it with some X-lax or something. I mean, I'm just kind of mean that way, and my wife's like, no, 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 no. She's like, I feel like God wants me to make them a meal. And I'm like, why? They're jerks. She's like, God told me. I'm like, fine, go ahead. And God always uses that in a powerful way. I mean, some people are just gifted that way, right? A family in the hospital, a baby's born, you know, surgery. People just say, hey, I love to cook. And it's just an easy way for me to serve the body. That's a big one too, practical way. Here's a big one that'll get you extra crowns. I'm, I'm sure of it in heaven is watching others' kids. I think one day, one day, I'm gonna get to heaven and God's gonna say, Shane, you see that storehouse over there? It's full of stuff and all that's for you. Why? You watch the Rimples kids or something like that. And boys, you deserve it. Go ahead, just take extra, right? There, I mean, it, but, but it blesses others just to, hey, man, young couples that are married, got a brand new baby, 
we realize the need for them to have some time alone, some quality time. You don't get a lot of that with a new baby. Let us watch your kid. Y'all go out and have a night on the town, but not too late, <laughs> right? Okay, so we want to go to bed. Help other people shine. You know, we're so busy worried about our own glory. Sometimes it's just good to just say, you know what, have you thought of how awesome so-and-so is and what they do? Man, they're so good at what they do. They're such a, an inspiration to me. Just put the light on someone else. That's another way that we can serve the body well. Another one that's big to me is listen. I'm not good at it, but I've got some friends that are excellent at it, and I'm so grateful for that. My heart can be heavy, and I can just call them and say, hey, I'm here, and I just want to be a set of ears to you, and they just listen. And what's cool about that is I've noticed with a couple of them that I can be six months away from that meeting, and they'll bring up something that I mentioned six, weeks, six months ago, and I'm like, whoa, they're good listeners. They're paying attention, right? That's a huge benefit to the body of Christ. What are you gifted at? I would say this, we need to have an attitude of anticipating serving other people. Looking forward to it. Wake up in the morning and say, all right, God, how can you use me today? When you do that, be ready because um, I, I'm a, I, a testimony to the fact that when you say, God, I want to be a blessing to someone, use me. If you, you bring them to my mind, I'll make the phone call or I'll make the, the connection, but you show me who you want me to be a blessing to today and just anticipate being willing to and to jump in there when the Holy Spirit nudges you and shows you who to minister. I think you get the idea, right? We're all equipped. We're all gifted. He's not asking us to do something that's impossible. He's just saying, be willing. Take the focus off of self, put it on others, and see what happens. Galatians 5.13, and I'll close. It says, for you've been called to live in freedom. Are you grateful for the freedom that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, we were slaves to sin, and Jesus, through the gospel, he's freed us. He said, you've been called to live in freedom. That's good news, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. There's that agape again. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. And he says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. We looked at it last week. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our love for others is expressed in our service to others. Now, just imagine for a second, what would it look like if we grabbed a hold of this truth? If we said, you know what? Forget the world's way of doing things. Forget focusing on making my name great and rising to the top of the ladder and, you know, at the expense of other people. Let me just wake up in the morning with an attitude that Jesus had who didn't come to be served but came to serve, let me take his attitude and let me approach my day that way. Lord, how do you want to use me today to serve other people? That's a great way to start the day out, amen? And imagine what it would look like in your family if just the immediate context of your family, dads woke up with the attitude that says, you know what, I want to serve my family today like Christ serves us, following his example. What kind of a impact would that have in your family? I have a feeling it would, it would rock their world, Amen? Or at the workplace, you want to trip out some employees? Just go to work one day and go, what can I do for you? They're going to be like, what? There's, a, there's got to be a catch to it, right? Because they're not used to hearing it. But, but what can I do to meet a need? Or a desire? I mean, what, what do you need from me? Well, how can I serve you today? That's, that's powerful. It's, it's God's way. What would our workplace be like? What would our churches be like if all of us recognized the need? that You know what? It's not up to just uh, the people on the stage to make everything happen, but I'm a part of this great thing called the church. And if I realize that, and I realize that I'm equipped that way, and I'm just willing to share whatever, he's not asking you to do something that I'm doing. 
I mean, you may have the same gift, but he's not asking us all to do the same thing. He's asking you to do what you can do. And the point I'm making is, are we willing to just be used by him to serve the body of Christ? And here's what I think. Again, I can't go to Scripture and prove this, but I think when we do that, our Father in heaven smiles at us. You know why I say that? Because his goal is for us to be like Christ. And the more we follow and emulate the example of Christ, we start to look like his son. I just think God looks at us and goes, there it is, there it is. There's the reflection of my son coming back. That's a, that's a beautiful image, right? And when we say, God, how can you use me? Refocus on this area of servant because I am so prone to walk away from it. And I realize that it is near and dear to your heart and that's what you use to minister to the body of Christ. Would you help me be a better servant to your people. And listen, there's blessings attached to that. He said we'll be blessed when we do that now that we know these things. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the challenge in your word. Lord, it's a challenge to me, just a reminder, Father, not to seek my own desires and wants, but Lord, to look to those around me and to seek what I can do to help them, just to have that attitude of servanthood. Our culture today is so messed up and upside down, and it is, we, we got the results that we got because of that. It's obvious. Father, your ways are different. Your, your way of thinking is just upside down from our way of thinking, and uh, it's the right way. And so I pray that you would help us as Christians, as your children, realize that, Lord, we've been equipped, that you've equipped us through your Holy Spirit and the gifts that you've put into us for a purpose. And that purpose is not for ourselves, but it's for the benefit of the rest of the the body around us. And so, Lord, would you please help us to just kind of just sit on this and and mull it over in our mind and adopt a new attitude at the beginning of this new year to have just an attitude of servanthood where we can say, Lord, how can you use me for your glory? At the end of the day, we're not trying to bring glory to ourselves. Father, we want to deflect that glory from us back to you because you're the one that truly is worth and worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. So Lord, would you just help us to see how we might be able to take a step today of application in our own lives personally, Father, for the benefit of your body. Forgive us for the times when we get sidetracked, when we get selfish, we get so consumed with us that we miss it. Father, just wake us up, refocus us in this area today that we can um, hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. I ask it. Humbly in Jesus' name, amen.